We want to thank you for being here this morning, and uh, we are excited about uh, what God is doing. And uh, last week, we started a a series, uh, and we started talking about attitudes and attitude of the heart. And we realized that, that our attitude affects our altitude. Our attitude and how we view things will determine how high we can go in Christ. What's going on on the inside. And we begin to look at the Sermon on the Mount. One of the greatest, the greatest sermon ever preached. And in this sermon, Jesus gathers a a group of people around him and he begins to tell them, If you want to be blessed, here's what you need to do. He tells them, hey, it's your responsibility to be the salt of the earth. He says, listen, it's your responsibility to be the light of the world. He then tells them, I didn't come to change the law. But I came to keep it and fulfill it. And as we dig into this sermon found in Matthew chapter 5, we begin to realize that it was not the externals that Jesus was concerned about. Because in Scripture, we can see Him talking about how that it's really easy to get things right on the outside. It's really easy to fool people. But what's difficult is, is being right on the inside. Because every day we fight the enemy. And he's fighting on the inside. And Jesus went on to explain, he said, listen, worrying about the outside, but not being concerned about what's on the inside is really what religion is all about. He said the inside can be full of dead bones. And that's what he accused and called out the Pharisees about. You see, they thought that just as long as everything was right on the outside, that no one cared about what was on the inside. And Jesus said, you're missing it. You don't understand. You see, God is calling us to live a life that's just a cut above. And last week, we talked about an attitude of the heart, and we dealt with the issue of anger. How many people handled your anger better this week? Nobody. Perfect. Can I tell you, when you begin to start working on something, and you make a determination in your heart that you're going to work on something, you've always heard if you don't ask for patience, the same thing is true. Do not... Ask, God help me with my anger. Because you're going to have opportunity 
to put that into practice. And I can tell you this week, I've had ample opportunity to put that into practice. But this week, we want to talk about another attitude. Another attitude of the heart. And we want to talk about maturity. Mm. Maturity. You see, God wants us to become mature believers. God wants us to grow up and to become adults. And these things that we're talking about over the next several weeks, they are hard-hitting. They're uncomfortable. They're not going to be something that, that it's just going to be easy. They're hard. But I believe that you grow in hard places. And that anything of value grows under pressure. Diamonds or gold. All of these things, when they're put under pressure, they begin to grow and to form. And in this passage of Scripture, there are some really difficult things. There are some difficult things that I believe that if we could get right in our heart, and we can get right on the inside, that it will make all the difference in the world. Matthew chapter 5 verse 45 says this, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You may be sons of your Father in heaven. In the New Testament, there are two different words for sons or children. One of them is technon, which basically means son by adoption or birth into a family. You see, to, to be this type of son, you do not have to do anything. It just happens. You are born into the family. But there's another word, and the word that is used here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, is weos, which means son by reflection. So when we read this, and Jesus is speaking this, to this crowd of people, what he is saying is, he's saying that you may become a reflection of your Father in heaven. That you can begin to look like him. That you can begin to act like him. That you can have his characteristics and his traits. That your heart can become more like Him. See, when you become a follower of Christ, you are born into the children, the, the family of God. You are adopted, technon. But what Jesus is saying here is now I want you to start growing, I want you to start reflecting me. Don't just stop. At that point, but grow and mature and reflect and act like and look like and respond like your father. And I believe that he puts us in difficult places 
to see and to help make that happen. He puts us under pressure. You see, there are people who have made a decision for Christ, but they have never grown in their walk. They've never grown in their walk. You see, maturity is a choice. It's not an event. It's not something that just happens. It's a choice. It's not an age. You think, well, when I get to this age, I'll be mature. You think, well, when my child gets to this age, they'll be mature. How many people know some 50-year-olds who are not mature? It doesn't just automatically happen. It's a choice. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I, I put away childish things. This allows us to know that he's saying that when I became a man, I decided... I made the choice. I turned from being a technon, just a a, a son, or into the family of who I was born. But I made a decision to mature. You say, well, how do I begin to reflect? How can I make this decision? The first thing that we have to understand is we need to walk with integrity. Walk with integrity. God wants us to be people of our word. God wants us, when people look at us, say they want us to realize that our word, as a follower of Christ, is our bond. When you said yes to Jesus, you were adopted into the family. And that is a desire of every parent. That they begin to grow. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. It says again you have heard that it was said to those of old. You shall not swear falsely. Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. Uh oh. I have to go to the backup. Oh, look at that. Quicker than the Bible sword. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Here he's talking about how many people are perfect? Anybody? How many people think you're perfect? Anybody? How many people know somebody who thinks they're perfect? Oh, now all the hands go up. Here he is not talking about, he's not talking about being perfect, but he's talking about completion. He's talking about completion. He's talking about becoming completed like him. And one way that we do that is we walk with integrity. 
Now, Matthew chapter 33, verse 33 says, Again, you have heard it, that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is His footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let... This was before hair dye. (laughs) But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. He said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. You see, in the Old Testament, they were allowed to swear by heaven. But they were warned warned against it because they said, if you do that and you do not keep it, you're going to be cursed. And you see, how you keep your word makes you believable. It's not what you say, but it's what you do. Now, it's easy to keep your word when things are easy. When things are going the way that you want them to go. But it's harder to keep your word when maybe the other person isn't doing their part. And the Pharisees would look for loopholes, for wiggle room. They would be willing to lie to minimize their loss. And you know, when I was younger... Mom and dad are sitting over here. But when I was younger, there was sometimes that I would maybe tell just a, a, a white lie. Just to minimize my loss. And the Pharisees, they would, they would try to swear to heaven. They, they wouldn't swear to God. They would swear to heaven, or they would swear by earth, or they would swear by Jerusalem, or or, or the hairs on their head. And Jesus is telling them here, listen, they are all connected. Don't do any of it. Just let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Let your integrity speak for itself. Do the right thing, even when it hurts. Do the right thing even when it hurts. Last Wednesday night, a bunch of us went out to eat after church. And we sat there with a bunch of, there was a bunch of us, but we had some young adults there. And... um, So when the bills came out, one of the young adults had not been charged for an item. Now, how many of us would have looked at it and said, yes, God is blessing me? Don't lie. No, that's called stealing. Hard hitting, right? But here we have someone, I don't even think has a job. 
But they look at that bill, and we're all paying, and he said, uh, ma'am, you didn't charge me for one of the items that I purchased. And at that moment, I looked to see if anybody had Gateway Church on, because I felt so proud. I was digging for a pen that he could sign, that they could sign with. It wasn't an easy thing to do. And you may think oh, that was just a few dollars. No, it's integrity. It's letting your walk match your talk. It's doing the right thing even if it hurts. You see, God's integrity isn't contingent on what we do. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says this, If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. You see, God's integrity, the fact that He says that He will be faithful, it doesn't change even when we're faithless. His integrity speaks for itself. And our integrity should not be contingent on others. There are going to be times in your life that someone is, or something is going to happen that you are tempted to not have the integrity that God has called us to have. There's a story in the book of Joshua. We know that, that Joshua went through with Moses through the Red Sea. And they, they come to conquer and God says, you're going to conquer all these cities. So first they go to Jericho and they conquer it. Then they go to Ai and then they conquer it. And then another king from Gibeon realizes that they're next. So they get together and they devise this plan. And they say, we're going to do this upright. We're going to go to them. We're going to make all our clothes look ragged. We're not going to give our, our camels or our, the, the animals with us any water. We're going to look pitiful. And we're going to tell them that we're just traveling and that we've come from a far off land and that we want no problems. And so they come and they, and they, they tell Joshua and, and his men and, and they say, you know, we're, we're from afar off. Just look at us. Look at us. They said, this bread was hot when we left. Now look, it's moldy. And so Joshua says, okay. And they make a deal with this group of people that says, we'll not destroy you. We're going to leave you alone. And about three days later, they realize, Joshua realizes, that it was all a lie. And that in actuality, this group of people were only 25 miles away. They said, what are we going to do? He said, you're not going to do nothing. Because you made a promise. You can't conquer them. 
Joshua chapter 9 verse 15 says, So Joshua made peace with them, and he made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And then verse 22 says, Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell near us? So Joshua calls them out, and he said, You tricked us. But he says, We're not going to destroy you. Well, that would be great if the story stopped there and you think, well, that was nice of Joshua. But listen, it gets even more difficult. Because five kings get together and they say, listen, we're going to go together and we're going to conquer Gibeon. And so the king of the Gibeonites get in touch with Joshua, send him a text message. Said, listen, I've got wind. That there's five kingdoms getting ready to come destroy us. Now listen, you made a covenant with us. You said you would not destroy us and that you would protect us. Now it's time for you to be a man of your word. So now Joshua is put in a position that he's been lied to. He's been tricked. He's been fooled. And now this... King is saying, hey, you said it, you swore to it, you're going to have to come protect us. Now, if it had been me, I'd have just shut the cell phone off. Forget it. I'm not risking my men, the lives of the people that I love, to protect you. You lied to me. You tricked me. You took advantage of me. It's not what Joshua did. Joshua mounted up thousands of men, traveled an elevation of about 4,000 feet. 25 miles to fight for these people who had lied to him. It wasn't easy. Wouldn't have been an easy decision to make. Keeping his word at this moment, probably no one would have blamed him to say, I know what I said, but. There's going to be times in your life that keeping your word, keeping your promise, it's not going to be easy. Maybe as a Christian, uh, as a businessman, woman, as a father, as a mother, a- as a leader, just as a Christian. But God wants us to begin to reflect your Father in heaven. You say, well, it's, it's, it's going to make me vulnerable if I keep my word. It may. You may have tendencies to say, I want to minimize my loss and maximize my gain. See, too often in life, we believe that only we can protect ourselves or advance ourselves. But can I tell you that no one can advance and promote you like God. And when you keep your word and you walk with integrity, amazing things will happen. That's what happened here. 
Joshua chapter 10 verse 11 says this, And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as I... Yeah. I'm going to butcher this, okay? That the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as that place, and they died. Because I know if I say it wrong, I'll hear about it for like three weeks. So if I just don't say it. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Verse 11 tells us that God killed more people with hailstones than what the children of Israel had to kill with their sword. In other words, God fought for Joshua. God fought for Joshua. And can I tell you that integrity is an invitation for heaven to show up with the supernatural. If you will just be someone who walks with integrity, God will promote you. God will protect you. God will advance you. But you have to be willing to keep your word. Next, you have to have credibility. Have credibility. Not in name only, but in lifestyle. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 42 says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn, to the, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to, be, to borrow from you and do not turn away. You see, every one of these things, they are situations that are difficult. They are situations that need something supernatural because it's not in us. It's tough places. It's tough situations. And Jesus isn't advocating being a doormat. And there are going to be situations that you're going to come across that is going to seem like that what the natural response should be. But what Jesus is saying is because you have a relationship with me, I'm going to check you. Because you have a, a relationship with me, I'm going to show you how to reflect me. And that's exactly what he does. You see, I believe that God allows bad things to bring forth the real thing. God will allow things to happen in your life so that he can be given the glory. You may have never been slapped physically, but you may have been insulted. You may have been accused of something that wasn't right. And your natural reaction is to slap back. Your natural reaction is to fight back. Your natural reaction is to retaliate. There's sometimes in my life that things happen and people do things and, and I want to rip into that person. But Jesus is saying here, uh, because you are trying to reflect me, because you're trying to become a son that looks like me, that reacts like me, he checks me and said, don't respond. 
Or he'll check me and say, tell them thank you for pointing out something that that you needed to know. (coughs) We're all going to be put in difficult situations that require different responses than what our human nature would tell us. But we have to allow the Holy Spirit to check us right where we live. Going the extra mile. In this time, the Roman soldiers, they could put the tip of their spear in the middle of your back. And what that meant was, was for you to take the backpack of someone and carry it for them. And it wouldn't matter if they did that and they redirected you and said, Okay, I know you were going that way, but I want you to go that way. And I want you to carry this. Jesus said, don't just go one mile, but go two. And when we begin to pray, Father, I want to be like you. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. Because sometimes God will put us in places where we don't want to be. You might consider it a growing pains. And I believe that when Jesus talked about this, He could have been foreshadowing His death. He said, when they slap you, turn the other cheek. If they ask you for your tunic, give them their cloak. When they ask you to go one mile, go two. When they ask you to borrow something, let them borrow it. You see, Jesus was slapped. They took his cloak. He went the extra mile. You say, how? You see, for punishment, you were either beaten scourged or or you were crucified but you weren't done they didn't do both to you we read where paul was beat three times 40 lashes minus one and when you see the pictures of the guys being crucified on the cross beside jesus you don't see the stripes why because you weren't scourged and crucified but guess what jesus was Why? Well, the Bible says that He took the stripes on His back so that we could be whole for our healing. But then He went the extra mile. And He was crucified. He was crucified so that we could live again. So that we could be saved. His pain and His agony that that He was, was Him becoming Savior of the world. God puts us in tough places. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 says, For though He was crucified in weakness, yet He lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in Him, but we shall live with Him by the power of God towards you. He was crucified in weakness. There's times that in our life, that it may appear that we're weak, but that's because that He tells us and He wants people to know and realize that when we are weak, He is strong. The credibility of our witness is found in our weakness. Lastly, we need to have loyalty in relationships. And if you haven't made a choice to reflect your father, you can't do that. Jesus is teaching us in this passage of Scripture, in this sermon. He's saying, listen, do you just value people or or do you measure them? 
And too often in our relationships, we measure them. But instead of measuring relationships, we need to learn to value them. Because when we look at things, we say, well, this is what they deserve, or this is, they, they deserve this. This is what they're going to get. But we've got to find it in our hearts to love the ones who are difficult to love. The ones that with our human eyes we look at and say, they do not deserve love. Having loyalty in relationships. We all know people who are difficult to love. We all know people that it would just be a whole lot easier if they just walked out of our life forever. But you see, serving God isn't easy. And God is saying, Jesus is saying, find it in your heart to love those people. I'm not saying you have to hang out with them. But to get to a point in your life where their name can be mentioned and your blood pressure doesn't shoot through the roof. Where their name can be mentioned and your smartwatch doesn't start beeping because your heart rate is too high. You see, God doesn't measure people. He values them. And when you begin to change, and you begin to say, I want to be like you, you're going to begin to realize and recognize and understand that Jesus didn't die just for some of us. He died for all of us. And when we look at those back walls that say, love God and love people, it doesn't say, love God, love people, unless. He died for all of us. He valued all of us. And if you look at the brother of the prodigal son, we know the story. He left the father's house. He did stupid, ignorant things. And when he came home, the father was ready to receive him with open arms. But the brother, the brother said, Dad, look at the way I've lived my life. Look what he's done. He does not deserve your loyalty. He doesn't deserve it. Why? Because that brother was measuring his brother. He didn't value him. When the woman poured out the oil on Jesus' feet and people were upset because they were measuring what it cost. And they said, that may be Jesus, but He doesn't deserve. 
That's a year's worth of wages. She wasn't measuring him. She was valuing that relationship. You see, God wants to teach us how to love and how to be loyal in relationships. Why? Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, the same verse we started with. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Let's read it this way. That you may reflect. That you may be a reflection of your Father in heaven. With every head bowed and every eye closed. You may be here this morning and you say, I've never even become a son. I've never be, ever been born into the family. When you talk about technon, when you talk about just being part of the family by birth or by adoption, I've never taken that step. And I pray that everyone here has done that, but if you have not, that's the beginning. And all you have to do say, God, forgive me. And at that point, God, be Lord of my life. And at that point, you are adopted. You are born into the family of God. And if you're here and you've never made that decision, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you up. Just slip up your hand. If there would be one, thank you. Thank you. I want to be born into the family. For those of you who raised your hand, we're going to pray right now as a church. And if you'll, the Bible tells us that if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we are born into His family. So we're going to pray as a church. And if you'll pray this prayer, God will keep his promise because he's a man of integrity, a person of God who loves you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you see us. You see our hearts. God, you know that we are broken. God, we know that you know that we all fall short. We miss the mark. God, I pray that you forgive me. God, we believe in our heart. God, we are confessing with our mouth that you are Lord. God, I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sin, for my failures, for my shortcomings. God, I thank you for welcoming me with open arms into your family. Father, I don't deserve it. But God, I receive your gift of salvation. 